everyone and welcome back to another episode of Relative Pitch. Today we are so, so, so excited to have with us a famous individual, by the way, uh, Mr. Kevin Fitzgerald, which is the associate conductor of the Jacksonville Symphony. Oh my gosh. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? Hi, guys. I'm great. It's an honor to be here. I've been a big fan of the show for a while, so this is so cool for me. Uh, yay. Oh, my gosh. Now, relative pitch out in the world, y'all. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, first of all, Kevin, I mean, like, how are you doing? You know, what are you up to? Um, and, like, first of all, you, you're you newly appointed at, at Jacksonville Symphony. How is that going? Yes, this is my first season. Um, it's great. I am so blessed. This is like the best job I've ever had. Um, I conduct a lot in a lot of different styles and types of music and types of concerts. The orchestra is fabulous. Um, I'm growing a lot as a conductor because of all the opportunities I've been given. And they're giving me more and more and more, which is great. But that also means that I'm studying more and more and more and preparing <laughs> more and more and more. So, you know, if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'm in a very good place. But I'm also, this is like between now and like July is going to be like a a big crescendo of productivity mm-hmm. uh, if I if I can make it through the wilderness. Um, but overall, very good. It's beautiful here in Florida. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of problems about Florida just in general, but the weather ain't one of them. So I'm enjoying the weather. Uh, and yeah, life is good. Life's good. Do you live in Florida? Well, <clears throat> it's an interesting question. So I'm married to someone who's named Kurt, and he is in the North Carolina Symphony. And mm-hmm. so we have like our home base in Raleigh, but because I'm not needed all the time. They only need me like half the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm home half the time doing other gigs some of the time. But I have to have an apartment here because it's like, you know, I need to be here for like stretches of time. Like m- right. March is kind of crazy. I'm here ex- the three continuous weeks. Wow. So, yeah, there are like little pockets where I can like do a day trip or whatever. But in general, like I need that time to rest and to prep for the next thing. So mm-hmm. that is, you know, kind of a challenge, but it's part of it. Yeah. Okay. You my folks. That was always the craziest thing to me was learning that music directors can all the conductors like you guys like have different residencies and you're always like flying somewhere, driving somewhere. Like, how do you? I mean, you just talked a little bit about how you balance that out, but really when you first started doing this, how did you find that balance? How did you start, how did you learn to stay sane with knowing that you are gonna be in two different places a lot throughout the week? How does that work? Well, staying sane is not always possible, unfortunately. Um, Well, you know, it kind of gradually became part of my life because before this I was at the Alabama Symphony in Birmingham and um, Kurt, was actually there too. And that's how we met because we started at the same time. So, you know, for the first year and a half, I started in 2018, 19 season, you know, I would go, I would make a couple trips a year to do different things, but I was basically there and he was there and it was fine. And then February of 2020, he won his new job, like right before the shutdown. Wow. So lucky. Uh, And so that meant like, we knew we didn't even know what was going to happen with my job. We didn't know if like because the youth orchestra couldn't meet in person, if they were going to like fire me, like we did not know what was going to happen. So we just put all the eggs in his basket, got a house, thank God, somehow in Raleigh. Um, it's actually in a town called Fuquay Verena. Shout out to Fuquay. Shout out. And it's a suburb. 
Um, but anyway, so we, we bought that and then they're like, actually, no, we're going to keep you on obviously. And like the youth orchestra will go online. And that's when the beginning of the traveling started. So like most of the night of the 2021 season, I was in Raleigh doing the youth orchestra online, which we could talk about, um, was a, a blessed experience. Uh, and you know and then they would say okay well you actually do need to conduct the orchestra a couple few times so then you're driving back and forth but honestly for me personally just in general answer your question i like variety i i have my own personal routines but same old same old day in day out same people same places same faces it ain't for me yeah i need change i need change um it's what makes me feel like things are happening in my life the same things the same people the same repertoire whatever it is I you know I don't like too much stagnation so it's good for me it doesn't mean it's easy uh I mean you have to fly through Atlanta we love Atlanta but we don't love the airport it can be a challenge so believe it or not even though RDU in Raleigh is a big airport you can't fly direct to Jacksonville you have to go through Atlanta so I'm bringing this up because by the time you leave the house, go through the whole shebang and get to Jacksonville through the airport, it's about six and a half hours. There could be delays. The drive is six and a half hours. Wow. Very often less delays. So I usually just drive, get up early and drive. I love driving. I listen to podcasts. Wow. I listen to the rap I'm working on. I listen to music that I am not working on. I just, I, I like being by myself. Uh, <laughs> So it, it actually works for us. And Kurt, he's very independent, so it's good for him too. It is hard, I think, when you do have hard weeks, you know, when you want support and you want that, you know, one-on-one and you can't really have it, that's hard. But it's the cost of doing business. I mean, we're both doing what we love or doing our dream. We're very lucky in that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, neither one of us is going to be like, you need to quit what you're doing for me. Because, you know, the other thing is, you know, he has tenure as associate principal viola. We as conductors outside of academia never get tenure. Mm. So you just get contracts, um, contracts that could be, you know, I have a two year contract right now. Our music director, he just signed another four year contract. So mm. you don't have that job security that he has. So mm. it makes more sense in our arrangement for him to be like his job to be like the focal point of like our domestic life. Mm. So we also have two dogs and they need consistency and a yard and all that. So, but they're coming Kurt and the dogs are coming Tuesday. Cause he's subbing with us as a viola sub. So, mm. but yeah, it's not easy. And there are going to be weeks in the future where months where I don't see him and it's going to be hard, but again, cost of doing business. I'm very blessed to get to do what I get to do and to be part of this world. And I wouldn't want him to like, have to choose or anything like that. So I don't, I don't think people think about that a lot, especially, um, you know, uh, when you're in this professional world about, you know, relationships or anything in this profession about, and especially if you are with a person who is another musician, sometimes like on the opposite side of the country, you know, um, right. Or the world. Um, I like I know for uh, in the where I'm at at UGA, it's actually funny. Our director choral activities at UGA is married to the director choral activities at Georgia State, which is in Atlanta, Athens, not too far away, but it's still like you know that's 
we got to think about this. And what about if one of them wants to, you know, go off to another position? Now we have to talk about it as a family. And then you bring kids or, you know, any, or, you know, um, if you have uh, pets that are like your kids, now we got to talk about that. Like it, it's put a lot of more uh, factors on this. Oh, yes. I mean, there's a reason that many conductors have been married many times. <laughs> uh, and also you just requires a lot of sorry shut the door for several hours a day you know yeah that the work is extremely time sensitive so if the gig is coming up don't matter what else you have to say about it like i have to work right now you know what mm -hmm. i mean so although it's hard i think just from seeing what i see from the other side people who are non-musicians they it, it can be a little tricky to get them to really understand some of the things yeah um i think it's worth it like if, if you if you're with someone and you love them and you can figure it out but like right. th there's a you know there's always the grass is always greener two sides to the same coin you know mm -hmm. um i personally just have i'm so, i'm one of my biggest flaws as a person is i'm impatient so <laughs> having to explain things to people you know, from the ground up, I don't think I could love anybody that much, you know? Mm -hmm. I got to be able to say something in one sentence and you got to know everything that I mean by that. You yeah. know what I mean? But that's me. Some people are not that way. They want an escape from their work. They want to have a complete work-life balance. And that's cool. Um, I don't really know if being in my line of work, if that's possible because it's so all-consuming, the work. But maybe there are people out there who are doing it who disagree. Like, oh no, I totally you know, disconnect, but I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes saying work-life balance is tricky because I think we should find a way to make the work sustainable. So you don't need to like have a balance and maybe your life could be more healthily integrated with things with work. I don't know. I mean, if you have kids, that's a whole nother thing. I'm never going to have kids, um, you know, as far as I know. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, I heard something very uh, special about you know the the myth about work-life balance being 50 50 and i think that person was like that can never be true because you know that's 50 percent work and 50 percent your life you're not giving you know full value to both parts of you um so why not find a way to integrate them both where you are you find some joy in both of those mm -hmm. it's true and you know I'd say this to students a lot, like, you know, you guys work with, with students, they're, they're being pulled in so many different directions and more and more and more. And I don't sugarcoat. I just say you can't really do much if you're trying to be balanced mm. because nothing's really going to get, I'll, I'll put an asterisk on that all the time, right? If, if you look at a six month period, you can try to find some balance, but let's say there's something really important, a test or a big project or you've got a, a college edition or whatever, you can't just devote the same amount of time to everything you do equally when there's something really important. You know, you have to learn to prioritize and say, okay, my grades might slip for a couple of weeks a little bit because I got to nail this. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's all about priorities, I guess. But you know, that's, a, that's the same thing. Like you can't, I'll say it occurred sometimes. Hey, I've got a lot of rep right now. You're not going to hear from me for a couple of days very much i'm sorry it's not personal i'm just buried you know 
and he gets it. Um, but not everybody would be that understanding. So, you know, it's just, I guess I just lucked out, but same with him, you know, I'm a morning person. So I get up early and work. He likes to practice at night. And that's when I want to hang out is at night, you know, <laughs> watching TV or whatever. And he's, you know, practicing till 11 midnight sometimes, you know, and I am like in bed. <laughs> I'm asleep. I'm in the bed. Dude. You know Dude. what I mean? I'm a, I go to bed early. I get up early. That's just my clock. He gets up late, stays up late. Mm-hmm. So you just make it work. You know, if, if the, if the right things are lined up, if the important things are lined up, you can deal with most things. You can deal with it. Make it work. But yeah, make it work. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's not easy. I, I think, you know, balancing your personal life with your work life is so tough for artists because our work is so personal to us, you know, um, and teaching too. like some of the people like teaching is such an emotional thing because you're so attached to not only like the work, but the, the people in front of you. And like, I mean, I remember when I was uh, teaching uh, trumpet in Texas, which I did for a year in Houston, you know, I would see these band directors and they'd be at the school from 6 a 6 a.m. to like 9 or 10 p.m. And I'm like, I mean, I, obviously they're, you know, there's a lot going on there. They're competitive, blah, 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 blah. They're being highly scrutinized, blah, 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 blah. But they also have this connection, this emotional uh, connection that's making them work so hard, you know? And then when both parents, you know, there's so many couples who are band directors or, you know, one's band director, one, and they're both at the school. And, you know, the kids take the bus from their school to the school the teacher works at, and then they just stay at the school and do their homework like they live at the school, you know? So, but then they have the summer. So again, like, I think when we talk about work-life balance, maybe it's not a daily thing. It's not a monthly thing. It's a yearly thing. Like, how does my workflow mm-hmm. work over the course of a year? You yeah. know, this is my busy time, et cetera. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I think of it. And these two know, like, June is my month to play golf. It's my month to play golf as much as possible. <laughs> um, hang out with my friends as much as possible. If we have a little trip, which they keep trying to make me spend money, do that. But like June is that month because then July we go back to marching band and May we have some conferences. So June is my month to completely like stop teaching um, and then we get back going the next month. Yeah. And that's why one month I can just be like, okay. And then we have our little conferences. We like to go to like Midwest. I view that as a vacation, not really a con- like work thing. I'm like, I'm going to go and hang out, eat a lot of food. And it's a some group drinking activity. It, yeah. Yes, Midwest. it is. Well, the one time I went, that's what I took away from it. That pretty much, band prom, band prom. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, Lauren, did you, I, I saw your brain thinking. Yeah, no, I, the, this whole thing about, because maybe we also talked a little bit um, with Nathan, like last week about like this idea of balance, but um, work life, work life balance, what does it actually mean? I mean, the thing about us being musicians and artists is you're right. It is so personal to us. It is a passion to all of us who are in this, well, majority of us in this field, I will say that this is not a data entry job. Right, I had to be a little shady, but this isn't—it's not a—it's not data entry where we can just leave our work at home or leave our work at work, right? Like we're—we bring our work to be excellent, to be to our levels. We must bring our work home with us every single day. There is never a moment like I'll be like at home and my like, oh, I should send that email or I should I should practice this or I should be like you know doing this da da da. 
there's never that moment where there's that disconnect and it doesn't necessarily have to be when it is something that you are very passionate about because the work that we all do is not just something we do to get a check right it's stuff that we do because we actually certainly not certainly not so like it, it just it really is a balance and i love this idea that the balance is not something that you think about daily, but more of like a over over a six month, you know, eight month yearly thing. Seasons. Back. It's in pieces, exactly. And even like one year, maybe completely differently balanced than a different year, right? Um, and like, I remember we, Jonathan Hayward was here at the Seattle Symphony a while back and I was out, he was newly married and I was like, oh my gosh, like how, how, like how's Millie? Like, how's everything going? He's like, oh, wonderful. And like, he was just telling me about the balance. It's like, sometimes we don't see each other for a month and, but we have to make the time to say, we really want to see each other, da, 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 but they're both amazingly talented human beings and doing amazing things. And so it's this idea, like you were saying, finding someone who, first of all, understands that about you. You say one sentence and they're like, I already know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, like, like we don't have to like catch up. Um, and so I think that is really important that people really don't think of enough, enough about when it comes to this type of field. You, this passion, this work is more than just work for you. It is something you're going to bring up at home. It's something you're going to bring up at the dinner table. And you have to be, that is the balance <laughs> to that. Mm -hmm. Um, so sure. I'm curious about you, about what inspired, what, how did you get here? What was, we all have our background stories of how we got into music, but what was yours that made you want to decide to do this for real, for real? Good question. Um, so, uh, I'm from a fairly small town in Michigan. Uh, it's, it's like 15 miles north of Ann Arbor. It's called Brighton, Brighton, Michigan. And uh, just to give paint the picture, it's a very, very white, very Christian, very middle class. Actually, it had like a whole range of like economic classes, but uh, not very diverse, especially when I was coming up. Uh, and pretty conservative in general. My family wasn't, but thank God. But like it was, you know, it was it was pretty that, you know, um, but they had a. Uh, I didn't have any music really growing up. Like, I mean, we would listen to music. Obviously I love singing, you know, kids, how kids relate to music, movies and singing songs or anything, but I didn't have any like training until sixth grade when, when band starts. Um, I mean, of course I was in general music, but don't even get me started on that. I could do a whole podcast on what general music should be, but uh, anyway, so they were like, okay, registration, uh, you could either take gym or take, brass class which meets at, meets at the same time as jim so i was like oh doing band sign me up uh, and my dad he had done band in high school so we had a a very disheveled trombone at home <laughs> it's gonna yeah it was a disheveled trombone and the case was just so gross and it was just beat up and like my dad was like oh you can play trombone like me and i was like Oh, no, 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 man. I am not bringing that case on the bus. No. So they're like, okay, we'll rent you a trumpet. You can do trumpet. Um, but you have to practice 15 minutes a day. Otherwise, we'll take you out of band. So just like to put an asterisk there, my parents were not professional musicians. They weren't college educated. They were just sensible people who said you should practice at least 15 minutes a day. Well, there it is. You don't have to be a genius, folks. 
<laughs> uh, just just throwing that out there. You know, there's a lot of uh, thoughts and prayers about practicing and blah, blah, blah. Okay. I was a sixth grader. I managed to practice 15 minutes a day. All right. Side note. So because I was practicing 15 minutes a day, I was making progress. And I was like, oh, I kind of like this. This is fun. This is kind of like my thing. Like, I don't really have a thing. Like, I wasn't into sports. Obviously, didn't want to do gym. I was a pretty good student, but I wasn't like, you know, brainiac or anything. So this was like my thing. And I just got really into it really fast. And I started taking lessons with the local, another band director. And he was actually a trombone player. So my tr- my first trumpet teacher was a trombonist, which actually really messed up my sound. And I had to like relearn some stuff. But he taught me a lot of other things that were very important. Um, so things progressed progress pretty quickly. And by the time I was a freshman in high school, by the way, is this like an okay pace? Or do you want me to like go at a faster because some no, people want like, okay. This is, this is great. Okay. So by the time I was a freshman in high school, I was studying with the principal of Detroit Symphony. I was like, I won the statewide concerto competition. I thought I was like the bee's knees, you know. I was that girl on the trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, first chair in all the youth orchestras, um, yada yada yada. It was it was a good time. And then one day he was like, my trumpet teacher, he was like, you know, you're just not getting challenged enough. You need to go. You you should go to Interlochen. Um, you should look at the academy. You should you should go there. You need to focus more. He's like your school's too distracting. They're asking you to do too many other things. Like you need to focus on trumpet if you want to do this. That was always his caveat. He always said, like, if you really want to do this, I think you should do this. Mm-hmm. Not like objectively, I think this would be best for you as a human and a person. But if you want to do this, if you want to be a professional trumpet player, if you want to do music as a career. I think you should do X. So he was always very clear about that, which I appreciated because he always reminded me that I had a choice and it was my choice and he wasn't going to sugarcoat his information to me. He was just going to let me know that it was based on the choice that I could make or not make. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was down to practicing everything. Like he's like, you know, sometimes you knew it was bad when I would play something. He'd go, are you really sure you want to do this? You know? And he really wasn't trying to be shady. I think he was trying to protect me. Now that I'm looking back, he was trying to say, like, this is a hard road. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of good people out there. You know, all the sentences, all the things. Um, but, you know, I would hands down not be where I am today without him. Ramon, if you're listening, he's probably not listening. He's retired in New Mexico skiing. But <laughs> he was a huge influence on me. So long story short, I ended up getting into Interlock and got an- enough scholarship because we didn't have a ton of money. So I ended up now it's like 70,000 to go there, but it was definitely not then that then it was like 20,000, I think just still a lot. Um, So got a good scholarship, ended up going there. And that was like a huge turning point for me because I think after like my initial development, you know, to ninth grade, I think I was kind of a little too cocky and a little high on like the competition aspect of it. And so I get to interlock in and, you know, it's, it's a fun, new, exciting place, whatever. And we have like our seating auditions for ensembles. There's a band and an orchestra and there's 11 trumpets in the studio and three of them could be in the orchestra and the rest are in the band. And I think I got like seventh in the band. So I was like, not that girl anymore. I was in the pack. I was so it was devastated. And I called my mom and I was like crying, which like hard. 
She's like, do you want me to pick you up? She's like, you got two choices. I can pick you up and you can be a big fish in a small pond, or you can make this about growing and learning. And this is the next chapter for you. You wanted to be challenged. You're being challenged, you know? She's like, I can come pick you up right now and we can never talk about it again. Or you can stick it out and grow. Mm. And I obviously stayed. Um, so, but, you know, she's, I'm very blessed to have a wise, wise mama. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she wasn't like, oh, they're so dumb. You should have been first. Like, no, none of that, you know. Yeah. So, and I had a lot to learn. Um, I had a lot of stuff figured out, but I had a lot to learn. I had to change my embouchure. I had to, not completely. I just did make some adjustments, bring my bottom teeth forward and like roll my bottom lip in more technically if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. And I, I had to just adjust my sound. conductor at that time? Who was conducting interlocking? So that was Byron Hansen. Oh, wow. The great Byron Hansen who has since passed. Yeah. He was 70 something when I was there. He was the band director. And he uh, he was in the original Eastman Wind Ensemble. Yeah. 1954. It's now open. Sorry. Open. I'm at the hall right now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can hear that PA announcement. Um, but uh, yeah, so, and then the orchestra was Matthew Hazelwood, but then he actually passed away after my first year, and it was uh, Octavio Mazarocas, who's now at Michigan State doing the orchestra there. Wow. Um, he was there, and that was like one of his first jobs, you know, he, he was a new immigrant to the, I think he was just finishing up his DMA at Bowling Green. So mm-hmm. that was, he ended up playing a big part of my life because he would kind of, was a, one of my first conducting mentors. But um, anyway, so this conducting seed had already been planted like 16 by my old trumpet teacher who was like, he had this exercise he made me do where before I played anything, even an eight, he's like, tell me what you want to say with this. Like before we even talk about playing, like what do you want the story of this piece to be? Like what's your, where's your head at? He'd make me have a narrative. And then he just really liked what I said. And he's like, you know, I think I think you you should think about being a conductor. I think you have something like a musical, your musical imagination. But then he said, he's like, think about it, get a baton, get some scores, start playing practicing piano. But if you actually want to be a conductor, you have to pretend you don't want to be a conductor and focus on trumpet because if you're not a good enough musician, you can't be a conductor. So that was very important uh information uh, and something we can definitely address later on uh my thoughts on that because i do think it's true um but anyway so i started doing putting together little groups at interlochen like i think my senior year i did two put two groups together did the strauss serenade did um Mm -hmm. Uh, this uh, Darius Mio Chamber Symphony, the one that's like string quartet. There's an all winds one that's very cool, but there's a this is a winds string string quartet, wooden quartet, harp. I think you know I was pretty ambitious. I was putting together projects, and I was like, okay, this is definitely something I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of support from the faculty, and you know, I mean, I, I had to ask people to like volunteer their free time to play. So thank God they, they did. And gosh, some of those people are like playing crazy places now that played those. I'm like, dang, I, I was blessed to have a very good people to, to practice on when I first started. Um, not everybody is that lucky. Uh, so long story short, I went through the college edition process, which was very intense. One thing I should say, just, you know, your mess is your message. Um, 
when I was 16, right before I went to Interlock and my dad had three strokes and a brain aneurysm in one day, like in one fell swoop. So he went from being like a business owner and like super, not super successful financially, but like very well respected in his field and like doing a lot to like being completely incapacitated. He, he ended up like once the brain selling went down, like, I guess you could say he was normal, but he wasn't actually, he, he was not himself. He was like a different person, but he couldn't work. And so there was a lot of uncertainty and stuff going on at home. And I didn't even know like if I was going to get to go just this school, but my mom was like, no, you're going. Um, but long story short, he ended up developing dementia and he actually passed away two years ago. Yeah. So after a 14 year decline, but I just want to put that out there because it kind of is the backdrop to a lot of what happened for me. Um, so I went through the college edition process knowing my parents can't pay for college, right? I got to either get a scholarship or take out loans or both. It was definitely both. And like, you know, I didn't even have, you know, uh, I went, to, you know, this is a private boarding school. So there are some rich ass kids at this school, you know, and it was just, it definitely made me feel a certain type of way when, you know, everyone's, you know, parents are coming to visit and like, you know, they're flying with them. They're flying to Traverse City to pick them up to fly to the audition and then drive flying back with them, you know, like escorting them through the whole process. And I definitely like was on my own, you know, and I mean, I had other family members, you know, try to help, you know paying but i like at 18 17 years old flew to new york city by myself to audition at juilliard you know i like did the thing i was mary tyler moore mm -mm. like you know i didn't throw my hat but i if i had a hat i would have you know i was there and you know it, i actually ended up getting waitlisted at every school colburn curtis juilliard cim all the schools I wanted to do. And the only school I actually got into was Eastman. <laughs> I didn't probably apply to enough schools. <laughs> I should have applied to some universities, some more uh, wider net kind of things. But I was applying to places that like, you know, Curtis and Colburn, you get to go for free, you know? So I was just like throwing, I was just reaching as high as I could, you know? Um, so I ended up uh, moving to Rochester and uh going to eastman for four years and that's really where obviously like my trumpet developed but that's really where my conducting path really begins in a substantial way um so i had um i've been very blessed to have teachers in my life Te i would be nowhere without my teachers from miss evans in sixth grade mm -hmm. to all the way up to you know the people i was working with at tanglewood like i i literally have very few original ideas my ideas i mean the musical ideas yes but like ideas about how to do what i'm doing i got from people and i was just this is why i believe so passionately in education because if children are given the right information they can do pretty much anything yes but they have to be given the right information and that is what i'm so passionate about is making sure people who are teaching have the right information um and we're all i think in that journey together, like making everyone know more all the time so that everyone can benefit. But anyway, so I I, I was very uh, bold and I had a, a conducting DVD from, you know, those projects I told you about. And I, after my first wind orchestra rehearsal, I went straight up to Mark Scatterday, handed him my DVD and said, hi, Dr. Scatterday, here's my conducting DVD. I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts. And I get an email the next day, like come to my office when you have a chance. And then Mark was my 
he's like my surrogate father for, for still is, but for at least four years, you know, he took care of me in a lot of ways. And I took a lesson every week and he gave me conducting opportunities that I was probably not ready for, but you're, that's the thing I want people to know. You're never ready. Mm. You're never ready. You have to have, you have to be brave enough to do it when you don't think you're ready, because that's the only way you're actually going to get ready. Words. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can prepare all you want, especially when you're a conductor, because there's no way to simulate it. There's no way to really practice it until you're actually there with people. I mean, yeah, I got you. You can't simulate conducting until you can pre you can prepare mm -hmm. so that when you're in the moment, you have the awareness that you need to experience the thing. But you actually cannot simulate it, which is why it's so hard. Right. Um, so I was given opportunities to to conduct a lot from an as an undergraduate at a very high level people who can play very well mm -hmm. so um i'm very blessed i mean he, he could have just said oh yeah great keep up the good work move on he could have said nothing but he was like no like he he invested in me and that's a gift he just decided to give me you know and i didn't even know him that well like you know it was after our first rehearsal you know i'll never forget that rehearsal we played a gn festival overture we played Handle in the Strand by Granger. We played October by Whitaker. Yeah. And one other piece. I think Lincoln Triposi was on that concert. Mm. So classics. Very much classics in the band. Classics. So anyway, uh, I feel like I'm taking, I'm talking too much, but I guess that's the point of the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> Eastman was a challenge. I mean, it is a good school, but it's hard school. Um, cause I was a trumpet major, but I was also a music theory major. So I'd take a bunch of other classes and then, you know, I was conducting and I was essentially conducting as much as the grad students, maybe not quite as much, but I was doing a lot. And I was working part-time in the admissions office, part-time in the library. I worked at a nightclub called Tilt. Ooh. It's a very, it's no, it's now called Roar, but <laughs> it was called Tilt and it was in this warehouse and I was a bar back and it was, that was kind of like my escape. Uh, I had to basically pop an Adderall to get through the shift, but uh, because it was it was Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights after you know after school. Sometimes I would work a Thursday night, get home at three, and have class in the morning. So, yep, that's the yeah. thing. Nobody, or especially the the I call them gym pop people at a university, never understands like our music schedule. Like, you know, they might have one, two classes a day. And I'm like, no, we go from class to like 8 a.m. all the way into six. And then some of us have like work afterwards and then 8 a.m. the next day. So like, no, it's really crazy. that kind of crazy going on. Yeah. And honestly, like, I don't know how I did it. I do not know how I did it. Looking back, I yeah. was just in it. I, w I was terrified of what would happen if I couldn't keep up you know and honestly i was really stimulated like it wasn't just like crush pressure crushing down i mean like it was a super positive environment everybody was really supportive um it's very different than the other conservatories in that way at least my experience like it's very positive it's very family oriented you know like all the students have to live in the dorm for two years at least and i think and the dorms are across from the school so i think that kind of helps glue the student body together a little bit it's also a very small school so like you're not going to miss nobody. You're going to know everybody's name, you know. Uh, I mean, from freshman to grad students, it was like 800 students. So, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so 
it was a very challenging four years. Uh, one other thing that was interesting is that because of my family situation that I described and like my financial situation, having to take care of me, like I posted about this recently, like I take care of myself, you know, I have to pay my bills. So in the summer, people would go home, do whatever. I would stay in my apartment and work and like save money and pay my, I had to still pay my rent, mm-hmm. you know? So, but that was a beautiful gift because I gained so much from that. Again, that being alone, I think, like I could focus on my playing. I'd be the only one in the practice rooms. I could, you know, my trumpet teacher still gave me lessons over the summer. I would meet with Mark sometimes. I would, I worked in the library. So I got, to, you know, access to the Sibley Music Library. It's the largest music library in the U.S. It's actually North America. So I had, I could just look at so many scores. Like it was just, even though it was a little lonely sometimes, it was a blessing. In mm-hmm. Rochester in the summer is gorgeous. If you shout out to anyone who's looking for a summer symposium, the one at Eastman is incredible. It's with the Rochester Philharmonic Winds, like Scatterday, Hunsberger. It's a super positive environment and it's like very affordable. Mm-hmm. And it's like there are not that many people who sign up for it. So, like, if you want to like actually learn some things, sign on up. Um, anyway, that's that's my shameless plug for them, but it, it was a uh, it was interesting because I kind of felt like I had a dual life. Like I mentioned, I worked at that nightclub. So I had like this whole group of friends and people that I would see at work that had not, knew nothing about music and Eastman. And then I had like my Eastman friends and I don't know how healthy that was, but to have it be so separate, but it was what it was. But I, I grew a lot as a person and, you know, cried so hard when I left, you know, graduation day. And yeah, and there was like a breakup involved with that too, but it was just like a very intense four years and then you know you left and i ended up going to michigan for my master's with ken keesler um and he is a very well-known conducting teacher all of us are working he's also a very controversial figure uh he's not an easy man to study with he's not an easy person to be around i think he would not mind hearing that i think he would agree he's extremely demanding for better or for worse um and but I, I i had the pleasure of working with other teachers like michael haithcock and jerry blackstone and like it was a very talented group of conductors th- throughout the whole school so it was a very good two years very productive and because you know it was in ann arbor i could live at home so i saved money and i could like mm-hmm. have my mom's food every day which was mm-hmm. very nice and be there for my my dad i think he was really not doing good at that time so that was it was nice um also very intense but in a way it was it wasn't as isolating because i had my family and all that so that was great yeah um and i saw that like you have been to like tanglewood as well like you have kind of went like all over these mm -hmm. places and all these like big name places like everyone knows eastman Every know everyone knows a Michigan and Tanglewood, like these experiences interlocking, these experiences have truly shaped you to be who you are. Um, what is it like? What do you tell you know your students or people that want to go to these places? What do you tell them um, and, and how to get there? Or is it truly as um, like a tropical scene as people might think it is? Because some people are like, oh my gosh, I want to go there, but I only know their name, but they truly don't know what's behind the closed door. Which, What would you say to them? That's a good, really good question. Um, I think it's all about exp- 
like uh, exposure and i'll give you a little you guys know if you heard of blue lake fine arts camp yes okay i went there sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade my seventh grade camp counselor mike matlock hi mike if you're watching he's a saxophonist he said to me he's like because he he was an eastman student and he was like he was a saxophonist he was like you should go to eastman i can see you there and i had no idea what it was I had no fucking idea. Sorry. I had no clue what it was. I was just like, okay. So I look it up. I'm like, this looks cool. It looks, mm-hmm. It's like, like everybody's having a good time. And I taught, taught my mom. She's like, all right, well, you better pride us hard because we can't afford that. So, <laughs> but he just said it to me. And so it got in my head, right? It, it, right. I think like the wind, like, uh, you know how people say like, you know, your worldview or like how big your, your world is, like what you're aware of, you know, mm-hmm. I think, People who might have that view of like, it's this tropical place, like I'm, I'm never going to experience it. It's a little bit of like explaining to folks that it's actually not so foreign, mm-hmm. you know? And I was just lucky that someone had said it to me, you know what I mean? Otherwise I might not have thought about it, you know? Like for the longest time I wanted to go to Michigan for as a trumpet major, because I was like, oh, well, anyone from Michigan who's good goes to Michigan, you know, like that. But little did I know about the trumpet teacher there at the time. Oop. <laughs> Didn't Oop. know the time. Wait, was it was it um oh was it a uh, bill? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Uh-oh. I know his son and I were in youth orchestra together. Oh, and when I won the audition, there were no challenges in the youth orchestra because it's the Michigan University of Michigan Youth Orchestra. Oh, and then suddenly there were challenges back, and the first challenge was him, his son challenging me, and I'll never forget it happened in front of the whole orchestra challenging me. I think we were playing. Uh, Rachmaninoff symphonic dances and well I was that girl so that's how it went for him <laughs> he was like well he tried to pull his he tried to pull like his daddy card and I was like oh damn and also, like, this is so gross like I love that guy he's so sweet he's actually a tax lawyer now an international tax lawyer so um, right. not, not, his son his son is but um Making that money. You always have a, a Burger King cheeseburger right before the rehearsal. Like I it smelled his trumpet smelled so bad. Like even just mentioning it, I want to hurl. Like what did Maya Angelou say? People forget what you say, they forget what you do, but they'll never forget how they make you feel. Uh, yeah. He made me feel like he needed to wash his trumpet. Yeah. Um so <laughs> let me just back up to this question because I think it's an important question. There are people in this whole industry who are successful, who went to tons of different types of schools. There are people who went to smaller schools, went to big universities, went to conservatories. Like you can, if you get the right info, you have the right cocktail of your own personal strengths and abilities and instruction and really drive and perseverance, because that's really what this is all about, because you're going to get tons of rejection it's going to be hard you're going to you're constantly going to meet people who are better than you or at least better at something you know so learning to kind of get over that i think is a huge part of you know why people either don't reach their goals or do um but i i think if you are one of those people who wants to go to maybe a, a big name school like just reach out to the people that work there you mm-hmm. know like if you, you know, uh, I have, uh, I do like online coaching for conductors. A lot of them are educators and a lot of them want to go back to school. And I've had, I've always encouraged them to do that, reach out to the professor 
and go visit the school if you have the means to do so. If not, try to get a Zoom call. And like, I've never once had someone come back to me and be like, oh, they wouldn't, they didn't answer me or they won't meet with me. You know, people, I met a lot of fancy, famous people. Everybody's still a person, you know? And especially in this field, if you say, oh, I really want to learn from you. I want to learn what you have to say. I want to know about what you have to offer. Like most people are very flattered by that and they will make time for you. Mm -hmm. And if they won't, try again, be persistent, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but it's, for me, it's less about the name and more about like, because you have to understand, like if you went to Curtis, you went to Juilliard, you look down at Eastman. Mm. So there's like a hierarchy here, right? Some people look up to Eastman like, oh God, that's the, like the best school you could go to. But there are always people, there is always, you know, the next level, the next level, the next level that think, oh, I would never go there, you know? So it just depends, you know, it just depends. I mean, I, I love this example of Rice University because Rice didn't used to be 30 years ago, like the place, but now it's the place. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? With the Shepherd Society grad program is full ride. They've been poaching faculty from all over the country. Like they built the thing and now it's the place. But like that wasn't the case before. There was good faculty, but it didn't have that reputation. So things are always changing and shifting. You know, in the 80s, Eastman was like the place, especially if you played a wind instrument, you know, uh, because there weren't that many great places to study. They had the top faculty, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I would say instead of one school getting worse, I would say the people who got their DMAs from Eastman and other good places are now teaching at all the other schools. Right. So like the whole level is higher now. So that's what I mean. You can get the right info and not have to go and pay that huge amount of money, right? Also, I really stress to people that like studying privately is like a, such a good use of your time and effort and money, right? If you if you say if you, like let's just say you're an in-service teacher and you want to get better, or you're an in-service teacher and you want to eventually go perform, just invest your instead of going back to school and like uprooting your whole life like try studying with people for a while taking lessons you know um you can get the information you need without like uprooting your entire life because that's what we're talking about we're talking about information you know how do i do this how do i practice how do i think about this so much of it is process oriented you know mm -hmm. so i guess the long answer with the that's the long answer the short answer is like, don't be afraid to reach out, research the places. And there's always, we have this little like fear gremlin in all of us where like the unknown is very triggering and it blocks us from like reaching out and from doing a research. And that little thing in you, I have it too. That's like, you know, like I'll be like, Kurt, there's a job posting, but I don't want to go look at it. Like, go look it up for me. I'm too afraid. Like, I just don't want to do it. You know what I mean? I know I need to, but I don't want to. Like, can you help me? So that thing in you that's afraid, that's intimidated, that feels like maybe I don't belong there, maybe I'll never be good enough. You don't mm -hmm. know until you try. And, you know, especially like Michigan, there were people who are auditioning with me who auditioned several times, several years in a row mm -hmm. to get in, you know, to Ken's program. So if you don't, if you don't get it the first time, you can always try again, you know, and there's multiple ways to like succeed. You don't just have to go to a name school. I happen to have like a nice, like you listed, um, pedigree i suppose but there are people from all over like mike Sachs, principal trumpet of cleveland went to cal state or something and he was a history major and he just studied privately wow with thomas stevens but you know an amazing player but i'm saying like there are lots of ways to get what you need in this business mm-hmm
information. I think that's the big thing is correct the the uh, giving of information. Uh, and we talk about this on the podcast about some people gatekeeping information, and it's like to what point that's hindering us. If we what and what are we doing that for? Shouldn't yeah, yeah. the the purpose of what we do is to inform the next generation to be better than we were so that the level continues to, to rise. That's what we want in our, in our field and in our art as well. Um, Because if, if we let this thing become so stagnant, we will cease to exist. That that is the thing about art. It is always, um, it has always made people think about, Ooh, that person was thinking on a different level. Let's try to get to where they are. But if we start to truly be with the common folk or, you know, just the regular people, then what are, what makes us different? What makes exactly. an artist different from a person who just, and no shade to these people, just clock into a nine to five and look at a computer? Yeah. yeah. What's the difference, you know? I know, to piggyback off of uh, that, um, college teachers like uh, instrumental applied faculty will when they have a prospective student will hold back a little bit of like their special sauce to make them come there I'm sorry I got one way of teaching it's on or it's off and when it's off I'm still I'm still drinking coffee when it's on I'm still drinking coffee so we're going to do it no matter what and you're going to get everything I, I have within that one hour of your prospective lesson because it's not going to be the teaching differences or teaching philosophy because some high schoolers still don't understand whose Kool-Aid they want to drink and whose studio they want to be in for four years. I think it comes down to personality. Like if they end up liking me, that's cool. If they didn't, I still gave them at least one thing that might stick with them when they go on their journey. I helped them in the one step that like, Oh, I thought of it this way. And I was more successful in this other audition. I'm proud of you, no matter what. Any prospective student comes in, I want them all to be successful, even if they don't come to my university. We cannot hold back just because it doesn't gain us money in like the next four years. Because it will, it will, people will eventually start to come when you are saying the things that people want to hear. Or if you find the people that want to study with you and do the things you do. So that's another thing that irritates me sometimes. They're like, yeah, they kind of like didn't say like these things that you said they were going to say. I'm like, well, everybody I know who studied with them says they're going to talk about this stuff. And then they didn't on this perspective lesson. That makes me wary that you have to then like be about them before they like teach you. No, just teach oh, you. That's not just right. Teach whoever's in front of you. Also, like I learned this from Oprah on that exact point. Like you receive more when you give more. Mm-hmm. So why are you holding back? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Come you, on. If, if your goal is to have the best studio and have the best students who do the who do well in any field, if you know, we're essentially like, especially you know, conductors, teachers, we're in the service industry. We're to serve the music. We're to serve the people in front of us. We're to serve the people behind us. You know, we are in service of others. Like we are there to facilitate others' mm-hmm. success. So yeah, that whole mindset of like holding back and. I don't think that's right. Um, I do. I know I've experienced that. I will say to someone, you know, I don't think that I can fix this aspect of your playing or your conducting in this one session, but 
you should think yeah. about this idea and over the next couple of months continue to do xyz mm-hmm. that's not holding back that's just like being realistic you know yeah it's being true it's being true i mean yeah. i i've been working clinicking high school bands and um there was one high school band that wanted me to fix their concert f and i was just oh. like okay um well here are my thoughts on how your concert f sounds boom 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 and then so I worked and the sound changed and I turned to the director. I was like, well, is this what you wanted to hear? And I, he said something to the fact of like, it's different, but I'm not sure if it's like the biggest change, like, I guess, night and day change. And I was like, well, that's the thing. It's not going to be, you know, right now, because right. one, we forget that the people in front of us are, are human beings. And they are not robots. They cannot just change at the drop of a dime. So the fact that I'm giving something that is like an opposing opinion to what they've known for how many months now or how many years now, and one, you can already hear a change in just five minutes. Think about if they continue to have that change every single day they play this concert up. By at least two weeks or honestly, Four days, you're going to hear a difference and it's just going to change. So I and I I have this approach to teaching as well of, okay, yes, maybe this uh, didn't change today, but the foundation is there. The roots are there. So Mm -hmm. I know that they are going to now the seed is planted. Now we're going to reap what we have sown. So Mm -hmm. long as we do those things, it it will change. But I, I just think a lot of people just forget that we have human beings. Our job is with human beings and we cannot always expect that they can read our minds or they can't, they just know what we want them to do and do it right then and there. Sometimes it takes a little TLC. Okay. Sometimes it takes that. And that's coming from a, a teacher standpoint. Yeah. I mean, how do you spell love? T-I-M-E. Ooh. That's it. I mean, this this whole, I mean, we can go there. This whole band pedagogy thing with the concert app. I mean, I was in Houston where this all comes from with Eddie Green, Lord rest his soul. You know what I mean? And mad respect, but there are 11 other notes too, honey. Oop. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. It's a tool. It's a tool for conceptualizing how we, it's a model for how we want to play everything else. I get that. But, um, there are very few pieces that are just sustained notes. So, you know, transferring that skill, I think is, is also important. Um, and the obsession over it, you know, like, Oh, it needs to be darker. It needs to have more bass, or it needs to have less this, or, you know, I just, I've seen it. I've seen people do it every day with their group and then see it not really, you know, they pull out a piece and they're still not, it's not like all the other notes sound great. Again, it's a model. I get it. I'm not saying we should throw the whole thing away and never do it again. But this, like, it's like a cult, you know, this cult of the of the concert up. It's like, give me a break. Also, uh, we have a clarinetist here. No, is concert F a good note on the clarinet? No, it's like one of the worst. Yes, it actually is. It's literally the worst, and I bet it's similar on some instruments too. Like, like why that note? You know, okay, maybe it's one of the easiest notes to get somebody to play when they're beginning. I get that. Maybe that's what it is. Fingering wise, I don't know. Um, but you know, it, right. it's, it's it's 
good old flute f mm-hmm. yes of course right i mean it's like it, it's just one of those things that i think um we are still in our profession we harp a lot of things on old traditions that I think are just the reason we continue to do them is because they're traditions. Same thing with rep. Um, I think sometimes that we still do certain things is because it's tradition. And I'm like, well, I think there are more modern pieces who addresses the same things and the same teaching tools that we can let this one go because let, and if we were to dive into the composer and what the true intentions of this piece was, I'm pretty sure in today's society, we should not be, you know, uh, uh, programming this or or putting this on, you know, big posters or something like that. Let's move on. Uh, and I think this is, I've been saying this every podcast, why is it the norm for if a person from 60 years ago was to come into an orchestral room or a band room and know exactly what to do? Like they know, okay, I need to do this. This is how a rehearsal is going to go, blah, blah, blah. I mean, to a certain point, that's fine. But also that means we haven't progressed much when we look at it on a timeline. Yeah. So really, what are we doing? Are we truly moving the dial forward or, ha or have we truly been just stagnant and we've just been putting Band-Aids on a much bigger problem? <laughs> Band-Aid. Ha ha ha. That's funny. Anyways, also with the old repertoire, you ain't. You do not have to do the same interpretation. You do not have to do the same interpretation. Okay. Read, read what's on the page. Read like the stuff and just don't listen to this one recording and just do the one record. We already have that recording. It already exists. We all listen to it. Create another one. Do something different. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I Thank you. It's very true. However, that would require that the person you're speaking to knows how to read the information in the score and make another interpretation. Mm. Which mm. brings me to a point. That is, is it's really not anybody's fault, but um, you know I've never been a, a, a full time public school teacher, and those people, I want to put them all in my arms. I want to give them all a giant hug because they have one of the hardest jobs on the planet, especially being a band teacher, because you're actually responsible for teaching like ten subjects in one class. But yes. you're given one, maybe two semesters in college to work on your conducting, and then there's that one class where they like prep you for student teaching where you look at a score and they like teach you that. And maybe there are amazing programs out there I don't know about that have a much more extensive preparation. But I feel like I just believe knowing what I've had to go through to get to this point, that's not enough training for someone who's, even if you're not conducting every second, you're on your podium 90% of your teaching day, you know? And I think that people just need the four years is not enough. I'm not saying everybody has to get a master's, but I think there should be more. I say this all the time, should be more quality outlets for in-service teachers and other people who want to improve their conducting during the year, whether it be lessons, whether it be like, you know, I don't even know, send your video in and get comments. Like there's got to be some better way than in this, in the middle of the summer, go do a week of conducting and then come back. You don't get a chance to press it with your group, you know, I don't know. I just think that people need more information about how to do these things. They need encouragement to do the things, to work on the things they're not good at. 
Mm -hmm. um, because nobody's perfect. We all have stuff we have to fix. I work on my skills every single day. If you don't use it, you lose it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's just, it's just, um, yeah, it, it's, um, to your point about the interpretation thing, it just begs the question of like, if you told someone like, do you don't have to do it the way it's on the recording, then how would they figure it out? They would, they could, if they had the tools, right. Yeah. Um, but you know, some people, so there are people in this world, maybe even in our counties, your county and my county, who actually think that making an interpretation of a piece has nothing to do with being a music teacher. There are people who think that. And it's true, you got to make the children hold the instrument right. You got to make them do all the things. You got to teach that stuff. But like, they're all doing that so that they can make music, mm -hmm. right? So like, it's like, you know, begin with the end in mind kind of a thing. And I guess, you know, there's a reason, you know, you're not just gonna be like, okay, today, children, we're going to talk about the phrase structure of hot cross buns. Uh, you know, we're not going to do that. Like, there's different chapters in life. But, you know, when I was in Alabama, I was clinicking a lot of bands, Um and the idea of making musical choices and just that the score is like a thing that you have to understand and interpret. Most people that was just like not on there, mm -hmm. not on the, not in the sphere of reality. And it's really not their fault. I'm not condemning those people. I'm not saying they're bad. They should be taken out of the classroom. It's it like you said, Anthony, it's all regurgitation of practices from before. Mm -hmm. yeah, they mm -hmm. are doing what they're either their high school band director did or what their college band director did and they're just copying that and they think that that's enough and that might have been enough for that group at that time but right. we just I think we need some a values overhaul in general mm -hmm. you know I agree. musical values and yeah. the, a lot of people don't want to do it because actually to be a really good musician is really hard work all the time <laughs> and when you are overworked already you don't want someone telling you you have to work harder to do your job i mean i saw these people these poor teachers some of them i mean some of them were thriving and you know living their best life but some of them were, were like you know looked like they hadn't slept in months you know so i'm not going to tell that person how's your b-flat transposition i want to practice that with me you know because they need a nap yeah. So the whole system is kind of like somebody should not be so wrung out that they can't not only take care of themselves physically, but like maintain their own level, mm -hmm. you know? So I don't know what the answer is. It's one of those uh, age, old, age old something we'll just, I guess, cross the bridge when we get there. It's, it, it, I don't know. I think that when you find peace in your inner self, I think then you can come into the job. I, it goes back to what we're talking about, the work-life balance, mm -hmm. whatever that truly means. If you are at peace within your personal life, then your job or your passion or things that way, it can start, the blocks can finally be put into place. Right. Um, so I think go on the journey with yourself first before you can take on a journey in your classroom. Make sure you are as a whole before you try to make your students or someone else whole. So that, that's it. But Kevin, how can, first, you know? right. Kevin, how can everybody find you, um, follow you and everything so that people keep up with you, all the relative pitch listeners? 
Oh, well, I'm on Instagram, Conductor K Fitz. Yes. K Fitz, like Kevin Fitzgerald. And you can find me also via email, which is just Conductor K Fitz at gmail.com. But don't forget the K because it'll other it'll go to a train conductor in New Jersey. Oh. Like he gets a lot of my emails, and so we're like pen pals now. It's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, well, thank you so much for volunteering your time today to come on to us a pitch um, while you're technically on the clock. So, again, oh, I know. Yeah, the concert's going on 11 minutes in. So, <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. And please, Wells Pitch members and everybody, go follow Kevin down below. We'll link all of his yeah. things down. And please follow him um, as he takes on the next part of his journey as well. So, until next time, thank you, everybody, for having a listen. See y'all next week. Bye.